Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. And good morning. How are you? John here with you on Dirt Radio. We're sponsored by Friends of the Earth, of course, in Melbourne. And you can check out our website on foe.org.au. Thanks to Yarrabug for their show. A report on the impact of climate change in Australia has was released last week. And uh, surprising to me, I thought it got a fair bit of media attention, mainstream media attention. Sarah Perkins Kirkpatrick is a researcher at the Climate Change Research Centre at the University of New South Wales, and she's with Dirt Radio this morning to talk about the report and to explain some of the implications of its findings. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And uh, just as a starter, what's the context for the report uh, and do you think it got a bit more media coverage than was ex- would, be, would have been expected? So as far as I understand it, the whole idea behind the report was to look at how Australia would be affected under the current uh, limits of uh, climate change warming that have been suggested by the Paris Agreement last year. So what they were looking at is how would Australia look if we hit one degree, one, one and a half degree warming globally and two degrees warming globally as well. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of media attention, I think, you know, I think this is really important stuff. So the more attention this sort of, these sorts of reports get, the better. The world's going to look a lot different, even by half a degree warming, and that also includes Australia as well. And uh, that's actually the, my, uh, the next question or the next sort of thing that I wanted to ask you about was one of the key recommendations or the key things that the report was making, suggesting, as you've mentioned already, is limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade rather than 2 degrees. And why is that so significant? Yep, so look, the, the less warming we have, certainly the better. Uh, but there is quite a large difference, as I said, between just that half a degree warming between 1.5 and 2 degrees Celsius. And it's particularly important when we think about extreme events. So we don't actually really need a big change in average temperature to see quite a large change in extreme events, particularly in terms of their frequency and duration. And this is especially true for heat waves. So we've already seen quite a noticeable shift in the frequency of heat waves that we experience in Australia, and we've only warmed by one degree so far. So that's only going to increase the more warming we have by the end of this century. And I wanted to connect some of these uh, this discussion in the report with your research. As I understand it, your work is on regional differences in Australia in, uh, in terms of the impact of climate change. Without being too technical, what would be some of the implications of this kind of warming, say, instead of 1.5 going to 2 degrees? What would the impact of that be on the regions that you're studying? Yep, so, yeah, you're right. That's what I study, and particularly heat waves are my focus. 
So we don't, at least uh, in terms of those thresholds, we see a, a slight increase in the intensity of heat waves. So that's, over Australia at least, that's about one for one with global uh, temperature rise. So for one and a half degrees temperature rise, for example, we'll see the, the intensity of heat waves increase by approximately the same amount. But when we look at the frequency of heat waves, as I said, that's the biggest change. So when we look at the number of heat wave days over the summer season, you can expect anywhere between uh, five to ten, on some, even in the northern region, regions, 20 heat wave days per degree of global warming. So that's quite a large shift. Mm. If, if we see two degrees warming, or even if we don't make our Paris Agreement and go on for three to four degrees warming, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take that much to see perhaps almost a month of heat waves in some locations by the end of this century. So this is what I mean. You don't need much change in the mean to see, to see extremes basically blow out. And have you been, uh, in terms of your investigations at the moment, have you been finding the, these sorts of variations taking place? And I'm sort of thinking particularly in terms of uh, food production and food security that these kinds of heat waves are going to be massively affecting uh, Australia's ability to produce food in, in an agricultural sense. Absolutely. Well, things like extreme temperature events and heat waves affect everyone. So... I'm not, an, I'm not an impact specialist per se, but I have certainly spoken to people who work in the agricultural sector, and particularly the timing of heat waves is really important there. So if they get a heat wave earlier on in the season, it really impacts the, um, the yield that they get from their crops, so things like wheat and other grains. Also, cows are really affected by the heat as well. They start to become less productive at around 26 or 27 degrees, I think. Uh, then there's wine. Everyone in Australia, I think, loves their wine. And a lot of grape varieties are really affected. And actually, the wine industry is really starting to take note and really focus on what they need to do and what perhaps new varieties they need to plant as well. And then, we, you know, then you think about the, the effects on human health, particularly in elderly people and young babies as well. They simply can't cope with the heat. And if we're seeing more heat waves occur, that will be at higher intensities. You know, you can only imagine what's going to happen to hospital emissions and, you know, dare I say it, deaths as well. Mm. Yeah, look, um, I know that these are very serious things, but you mentioned wine, and that was the... That was the uh, in fact, I have heard and read that, that the, uh, the wineries are starting to think about planting wine in... planting grapes in, in Tasmania. I mean, they're doing that already, yep, but absolutely. actually moving whole vineyards to cl cooler climates. Well, yeah, I have heard that anecdotally as well. But I was also speaking to someone just last week who's been who who is being involved in a project with the wine Australian Wine Club, and they're actually they actually know what happens to grapes if they just get a day that's really hot or you know a heat wave that lasts for a few days. They can actually taste the difference in the wine quality and also work out what's the chemical change that's actually occurred. So they're picking up on this already. And, that, you know, at least they're trying to adapt to the changes. But, you know, as I said, mm. what Australian doesn't love their wine? And this is, you know, a real impact that we'll have both in our, um, in our national wine production and also what we sell to overseas as well. Lots of people are, informed people are saying that keeping global warming to 1.5 degrees is a very onerous task. And some people are saying it's impossible at this point. What's, what's your take on this? Look, I, it is, I hate to say it as much as I really, I don't want to give people the impression that it's, you know, it's not, not worth it anymore, but really keeping two and a half degrees Celsius, some of my colleagues have basically found that we will surpass that, you know, in the next few decades, globally speaking. And that's really concerning because that means we're basically committed to at least one and a half degrees warming and possibly even two degrees warming. Also, the current pledges of emissions that were given in Paris really only take us to 2.7 degrees warming by the end of this century. So we all need to do more to try and stop that happening. So 
So that doesn't sound great and it's a little bit depressing, but the more we do sooner, the better. So even if we don't get to one and a half degrees, perhaps even two degrees, it doesn't mean that we should just give up. We need to reduce our emissions and we need to reduce them as much as possible to make sure the changes, particularly in extreme events, are as little as possible. And in, in relation to your perspective and so on, what, what do you think we should be doing right now? I mean, my sense is politicians are really dragging their feet and there's, there, there's an enormous amount that could be done. What, what do you think should be getting, getting done right away? Look, first and foremost, we need to stop relying on fossil fuels. That's the biggest part of global greenhouse gas emissions, and particularly in Australia as well. So, you know, solar panels, for example, are much cheaper these days. We're seeing more electric-powered cars come on the market, but unfortunately they're really expensive for the average person to buy. These things need to be invested in and produced, you know, at a much higher rate. So they are affordable for everyone to, to you know, use these technologies to reduce their emissions. But that's, that's where our energy should be going at the moment, pardon the pun, is reducing our, uh, our fossil fuel addiction, I guess. Mm, yeah, look, that, and that, that leads me to my next question because the action on climate always runs into politics and especially in Australia, and I, I'm sure you know this. And look, maybe this is not something that you can or even want to answer, but as a person uh, involved, yourself involved in science and doing this, this sort of research, what about someone like Malcolm Roberts, who's now in the Senate as a One Nation candidate? And what's your assessment of, of, of that kind of a, a development? I don't even know where to start with Malcolm Roberts. <laughs> um, well, look, somebody, I just said, uh, just just to sort of give you a, um, a little breather. I, I read something yesterday which said that actually he's going to burn himself out because the more exposure he gets, the more more people will actually realize that he's he's really uh, not just a denier, but a kind of uh, a flat earther, and um, yes. it, he's 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 just going to end up uh, self-immolating in a way. Well, let's look. I would, so I watched Q&A a couple of weeks ago when he was on with Brian Cox, and it just astounds me that someone who thinks NASA did put people on the moon yet can't keep record of global temperatures is just, you know, it, it's a paradox or, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So everything he says about climate change is a lie. Mm. And it just, the, the, it, it's really reflective of the little research that he's gone and done himself because he was contradicting himself so much and it was just indicative to me that the little internet research he'd probably done mm. was, was, you know, does not, you know, can't even compare to all the work collectively that's been done uh, by the global climate science community. So, yeah, I'm just hopeful. I just, I just really hope that, you know, average people who don't know a lot about climate change for one reason or another just hopefully realise when they undertake their own research, how, you know, how wrong Malcolm mm, Roberts is. Mm. And I really hope that he does burn himself out quickly. Yeah, if, well, if, 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 Q&A, if, if Q&A is anything to go by, you know, even the audience there just you know, thought he was... They were rolling their eyes. Yeah, <laughs> and laughing. So I'm just hopeful that the rest of the Australian population can... Yeah, well, look, I think we're all, we're all hoping that. And uh, also, uh, we're all hoping that, you know, the, as, as you've said, we don't want to be too negative about this, but certainly... Uh, there has to be things that, that have got to be done, you know, more or less right away. Absolutely. Look, the more, we, the, the more we do it and the sooner we do it, the better. Look, I want to thank you so much for being on Dirt Radio this morning, Sarah, and keep up your good work. Great. Thanks, John. My pleasure. And talking there with Sarah Perkins uh, Kirkpatrick, and uh, she is a research fellow at the University of New South Wales. And... Um, she, her work focuses on Australian climate extremes, as you heard, and particularly in regional areas around the country. We'll have a few links on our webpage for you to follow up on that. 
IPAN is inviting you to attend its anti-war conference and join the Close Pine Gap protests from the 26th of September to the 2nd of October in Alice Springs. Pine Gap facilitates US war activities, international espionage and their killer drone program. It's time to stop the drift to war and free Australia from US military bases. For more information on the IPAN conference, go to ipan.org.au and for protest details, see closepinegap.org. IPAN is a 3CR supporter. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. .au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Forty years of Radical Radio includes radical music. 3CR's Music Matters continues with this tradition every week by promoting and supporting live, independent Australian music. In November, Music Matters will be three years young and we'd love you to join us in celebrating our third birthday and 3CR's 40th birthday at a benefit gig at the Bella Union on Thursday, 3rd of November. A stellar lineup of artists who perform for Music Matters will be announced soon, so get out your diaries and lock in November the 3rd when we'll see you at the Bella Union with your dancing shoes on. On Dirt Radio this week, we're discussing the Climate Institute report released last week, and the report was basically discussing the fact that limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade was extremely important to prevent all kinds of severe extreme weather events in Australia. And extreme destabilized environments are exactly the sorts of things that more and more health professionals have been contemplating. The impact of climate change on people's health and well-being is at the forefront of thinking at a campaign called Healthy Futures. Harry Jennings is the key organizer, and he's with Dirt Radio this morning. Good morning, Harry. Hi, John. How are you going? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. Tell us a little bit about uh, Healthy Futures. What was the motivation behind getting that organization going? Yeah, so I'm a medical doctor. I'm sort of third year out from medical school. Um, And I guess during medical school, I was really interested in this idea of global health and that, like, there's lots of health disparities in the world and we should be looking for ways to try and improve health everywhere. And I kind of realized that climate change was an urgent health problem and it's been um, declared by The Lancet, which is the world's leading independent medical journal, as the greatest health threat of our time. Um, lots of people are being affected by climate change and being impacted and harmed and killed in a variety of ways um, due to global warming. So, And this is a problem that's going to get worse and worse. 
So I think um, there's a strong health argument for taking urgent action on climate change. And I met a lot of people who feel similarly. So we decided to start up this organization to give health professionals, but also anyone concerned about health avenues to take action on climate change. Now, a lot of the focus, as I understand it, of your campaign or your organization has to do with financial divestment from fossil fuels. How does that work? Yeah, so our main campaigns at the moment are calling on um, a couple of super funds, HESTA and First State Super, to divest from fossil fuels. Um, Both of these super funds uh, cater to most health professionals in Victoria and New South Wales. They each have almost 800,000 members, so really big funds, lots of members, very linked with the health sector. Um, Given the uh, health impact of climate change that I alluded to earlier, and also the fact that fossil fuels burning things like coal and oil and gas can have um, very significant local health impacts as well through air pollution. We think it's quite hypocritical and inappropriate for the super funds that serve health professionals to be investing in industries that harm health. These super funds have already divested from tobacco because they recognise that cigarettes are an industry that it contains um, sort of necessary and embedded harms and they don't want to be associated with that kind of industry. And we think a similar argument applies to fossil fuels. Um, so in terms of how divestment works... Um, There's a couple of organisations that have been really active in this space in Australia. Market Forces, that's marketforces.org.au and 350.org, people might have heard of as well, um, have both been pushing hard for various institutions, banks, councils, universities, super funds as well, to take all their uh, financial interests out of fossil fuels to show that um, our society collectively wants to move forward away from fossil fuels to cleaner, healthier forms of energy. Um, I'd be happy to go into that in a little bit more detail, if you like, but essentially it's just asking um, a, a wide range of institutions to take their money out of fossil fuels and spread those investments in other areas, whether it's renewable energy or just anything else that's less harmful. We'll put, we'll put some of the details on our website, Harry. You know, yes. Just uh, so, Something I wanted to ask you is in terms of the consciousness of the health sector around climate change and the impacts on health of climate change, are health professionals in Australia gearing up for those impacts? I mean, in, a, in an actual practical way, are they, mm. are they doing things? Yeah, I mean, there are lots of people doing things. There's a really great initiative um, called the Global Green and Healthy Hospitals Initiative um, that's um, run as a partnership between the Climate and Health Alliance here in Australia and um, Healthcare Without Harm, which is a global organisation. So uh, there's a large network of health professionals that are aware of the impacts of climate change and they're preparing for them. But I think the level of action that we're seeing in the health sector and in broader society is nowhere near what we need to do to mitigate climate change and prevent um, those harms from transpiring in the first place. And so there are people taking action, but I think we need a lot more people on board and a lot more focus on cutting down our greenhouse gas emissions to limit global warming. We were talking earlier in the show about the impacts of uh, very extended heat waves, for example, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you're very aware of this. This is going to affect a lot of people. Are they, they, for example, in hospitals, in various uh, health organizations, are they actually making provision for these kinds of things, that is, Mm. buying equipment or training people up to, to deal with this? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know what specific plans um, each hospital has, and I'm not even sure if the scale of sort of planning is really yet up to what we could expect in terms of heat waves becoming worse and worse over the coming decades. Um, But I do know that there are people in various hospitals who are aware of this problem and who are interested in having more conversations to talk about it. So here in Melbourne, um, 
there's a hospital called Austin Health in sort of the northeastern inner suburbs. And um, the emergency department there had a director who's like quite aware of this problem and they gave a presentation on it, I think it was a year or two ago. Yeah. And mm. kind of there's people around Melbourne who are having these conversations, but I don't think, I'm not convinced that there's enough sort of policy to help us prepare for climate change yet. The, this sort of leads me to the next question. How, how do you think uh, health professionals like yourself and other people who are aware of these issues, how do you go about raising awareness and, and sort mm-hmm. of actually, not just raising awareness, but getting people to respond and actually build some policies around this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, few, there's a few things people can do. So I, I guess our campaigns, the divestment campaigns, getting Hester and First State Super to divest, those are designed to allow health, individual health professionals to take a stand on climate change and advocate for what they want and allow them to connect with each other and try and achieve that goal. So that's a nice way of bringing people together for a concerted action. And when we win, that will send a big statement to um, sort of the public and the rest of the financial sector that a lot of health professionals in a lot of places want to see serious action on climate change. Beyond fossil fuel, and of course market forces have other divestment campaigns that people can join in related to banks and home loans and things like that. Um, But more broadly than that, I suppose once we have a united and strong constituency of health professionals who are working together to advocate for action on climate change, I think we can have significant political impact as well because health is consistently rated as the number one or number two voting issue among voters. And I think um, most of the public is probably not aware of the risks that climate change and even fossil fuels pose for their health. And if we could get out a concerted message about that with a lot of people behind it, I think we could see, we could sort of um, wed climate change and health together a bit more cohesively in public narrative. And then that could really get people um, sort of speaking to their local MPs or political candidates and saying, well, this is a urgent health issue. I'm voting based on this. What are you going to um how are you going to respond to this emergency? And then we see the emergence of a lot more um, sort of ambitious and, I think, appropriate climate policy. I, I think what you're saying is absolutely uh, a really great, a really great way to go, great, go, great way to go, and um, to wed those two things together. Uh, I think is absolutely critical because, as you say, health is is number one in terms of people's considerations and in relation to how they vote and so on. Now, there's something that you're doing, your organization, Healthy Futures, is doing coming up in, uh, as I understand it, in October, and uh, you're creating awareness and trying to raise some funds. Yeah, that's right. So we've got a, um, as well as sort of our campaigning, a lot of our work is bringing people together and getting people to meet each other. And as part of that, we're running a talent show in on Saturday, October 1st, um, eve of the grand final, 6 p.m. till 7 p.m. in North Melbourne at the Meat Market, um, a friend of mine's kindly donated a venue for us to use, so we're going to grab a stage and put on some um, medical, health, community service, and other friends who can do some um, sort of comedy, music, magic kind of acts for us. Um, if people want, are interested in checking that out, there's a link on our website, healthyfutures.net.au slash talent, um, or the other direct ticket booking link is www.trybooking.com slash M-V-N-Y, M for motor, V for vehicle, and for no and why for yes. Um, but, yeah, if people are interested to come along, that would be a really great way to meet people, enjoy the show, and we'll kind of have networking at the bar afterwards. And I have to ask you, Harry, are you going to be performing? Oh, I thought about it. <laughs> um, I actually, so I used to do a little bit of circus skills myself in the past, and that's oh. how we got this venue from an old friend. 
Um, I've, we've got lots of other people who want to share their talent on stage, and I think that's great. But maybe I'll like ride up and down on a unicycle at some point and see how we go. <laughs> okay. Well, we look yeah. forward to that. Look, thanks so much for being on Dirt Radio this morning, Harry, and keep up the good work. Thanks heaps, John. And I'm talking with Harry Jennings. He's the key uh, spokesperson and organizer for Healthy Futures. They're an organization of health professionals, students, and community members taking action to address climate change and related threats to health. And as you heard, utterly, utterly central to the way things are going to be going in the future. We're Dirt Radio. I'm John.